Welcome to Diary of a Professional Tennis Coach with Mark Gellard and Candy Reid. Okay, welcome to the latest edition of Diary of a Professional Tennis Coach with Mark Gellard. Mark, you're back in the United States, back at home after a pretty successful Wimbledon. How would you see it? Hi, Candy. Hi, everyone. Yeah, good, good, good overall. Obviously, you always want more unless we'd left with the trophy. I think there's always a part of you that feels like there could have been a bit more. But based on where we were mentally and physically before the tournament, I was uh, I was satisfied, shall we say, with that result um, and, and a lot of encouraging things to build on from from where we were. So the, I'm trying to Ian and I have sat down and discussed it after the tournament. And I think, you know, we've kind of tried to break this year into two sections, the first half and the second half. And I think based on where we where we are now, we would we're very satisfied with with everything that's happened so far. So the next half of the season starts in a couple of weeks and um, we're hoping that we can emulate some of the results. So is that how you're dividing it up after Wimbledon? The first half of the season is over. Second half begins. The second half is slightly shorter as well than the first half. Yeah, it's definitely shorter the second half. We probably, I mean, realistically, we're probably two thirds of the way through the year <laughs> rather than a half. But I think that from a, from a player's mental standpoint, we we were discussing: Do you see Wimbledon as the beginning of the second half of the year or the end of the first half? And for us, it's always been the end of the first half because this is where Magda and a lot of players will tend to take a little holiday now. They'll go off for a week. You'll see all the players posting pictures in Santorini or. <laughs> or Spain or, or somewhere like that. So I think this is kind of where everyone needs a little refresh and then they'll take, you know, a week off, a couple of weeks of training and then back on the tournaments starting for about, there's probably another eight to 10 tournaments for the rest of the year. Now you say that everyone's going on holiday and I think you're right, especially amongst the big players, but we're right now at quarterfinal, semifinal stage of Wimbledon when uh, we're recording this. And I was just looking at some of the live scores and many of the players Ranked just outside the top 20, Tatiana Maria was one of them who, of course, reached the semifinals at Wimbledon last year, is now playing challengers on clay courts. How is this possible? You think they'd need some of a rest. Yeah, this is the problem with the scheduling. And, you know, I, I, last year I sort of joined this, they call it a CPAC coaching team for the WTA. And this has been a hot topic recently because, you know, with with the way the schedule is set up, they're basically we've talked about it in previous episodes, but they're going to restructure the tour lot next year. And right now there are a lot of players that are making a living playing the 125 level challenger events or the hundred thousand level ITF events. So this is where they're going and picking up a lot of points right now. And obviously the benefit to them playing right now is that the, a lot of the top players aren't playing. So, you know, the, the tournaments are weaker, the opportunity to pick up points is is greater. A lot of the top players don't want to go back on clay. So it's a very, it's a bit of a hot topic right now. Mm. I think I can understand it from a player's point of view, because if there's an opportunity to go win a tournament or make some good points, then go, go exploit the uh, opportunity. But I think from a tour standpoint, that's got to change a little bit because uh, they're sort of second tier events that are providing high level points so it's definitely yeah. a, a problem that needs to be remedied and next year what they're going to do is they're going to really reduce the points in those lower level events they'll also add more tournaments that can count so right now in a year 
16 events count to your ranking. So you play 30 events, but only your best 16 will count. And they're going to up it to 18 next year, but there will be limitations on how many times you can play down a level. You know, Tatiana Maria, like you said, last year make, make semi-final of uh, Wimbledon. There's no way she should be playing 125 events, in my opinion. You know, she's a tour player that should mm. be making her her points and living on the tour. So, you know, that, that sort of challenger, I've had this discussion recently with some other coaches and, you know, this challenger tournament or the ITF develop, it, it's called a pathway. It's a development pathway, meaning you get on it and you walk down the path to get somewhere else. You don't stay on it. And that's a problem with it, that you can look on there and there's girls or guys that are playing on that tour for 10 years. I always felt with my players that if you were on that ITF structured circuit for longer than three years, you were in trouble because nice. it looked like you were not using it the right way and your level probably just wasn't good enough. And you were going to end up being stuck there. And you do see that. You see those players that are late 20s, still early 30s playing those events. Uh, and that's not ideal. So you're saying there's two reasons or maybe more for a lot of the players like the Marias of this world to go and play those challenges first. And I think you made a really good point. And I didn't think about this, that many of the top players aren't playing. So it's an opportunity. And I suppose the second reason is these women and men just love to play matches. They want to stay on the tour. Perhaps it could be too far, not in Maria's case because she's from Germany, but it could be too far for them to go home. You can understand more so the Australians, can't you, or the South Americans perhaps wanting to stay and play. Could there be any other reasons? Yeah, I mean, it's tough for those people because they're really, you know, so far from home. And, and I've talked with a couple of other players and coaches and everyone says, well, the schedule's too long, there's too many tournaments, the year is too long. But the problem is, is that, the, so the tour gets criticism for having it, for being too long, but, but it's a little bit disingenuous from the players because what happens is at the end of the year, when the tournaments are all done, players don't go on holiday always or go take a break and then start training. They all go to Dubai to play big money events or French leagues or, you know, tournaments of that nature. You look at what I think it was last year that Casper Ruud, was it last year that he went over to, instead of taking a long off season, he yep. he went down to South America with, I can't remember. With Rafa. With Rafa. That's right. And then he decided to take his season off in February. Didn't right. he after Australia? The, the reason he did that was purely financial. And I'm not saying I wouldn't do it, but then you can't complain that the year's too long and that mm -hmm. there's not enough breaks. If you're taking, and that's been the problem, there's world team tennis, there's the money tournaments in, um, you know, that all those tournaments, I can't remember what they were called that they had over there. But so the players are always trying to find ways to make money, which I understand. Yes. But it, it does then somewhat, dilute the argument that the tour is too long and then if they start saying well we're going to reduce the number of events so players have more time off you know typically what happens then is that they don't take more time off they just go play tournaments in other places that yes. will provide prize money so and the truth is that a lot of players are jobs worth aren't they they're not like a magdalenette who's making enough money from a couple of tournaments or 16 tournaments, like you said, to continue through the year. A lot of these players are needing to play week in, week out, especially because they're losing early and the points and prize money they're playing for isn't as high as tour level. hundred percent. And, and you know, for players that are at the tops, those top 50, top hundred players, you would like to hope that they're making enough money at these events where the, they can take a few weeks off to rest practice avoid the injury situation you know and i think also actually for players like magda if she took 
a tournament like right now and played one of those clay events, it would be a massive money loser for her. So she takes the team with her. It's three flights for Ian and I and herself. She's paying for hotel rooms. She's paying for food expenses, etc. The money that she would get if she won that event still wouldn't cover her expenses that week. They wouldn't get close to it. Mm. So from but 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 from a point standpoint, yes, you can make some nice points on that. And that's always been my issue with it is if you look at this year when we had, for example, a nice run in Australia, the first round she beats Mayor Sheriff, who was 51, I think, at the time, and we were ranked 50. And then we beat four top 20 players. And, and you get rewarded handsomely with the points, but the the 125s, a lot of the time, you're going and winning those events without beating anyone inside the top 100 and still picking up 180 or 200 points, something around that number. So it's a lot of points for not having to beat the same quality of competition. Mm. And that, as you rightly said, is what's going on right now with many of the best players taking a bit of a break. So what is your schedule? You said you're back at home now in Florida, taking a few weeks off. When does Magda Lynette and the team start getting back together again? Yes, so Magda's back in Poland. She's going to spend some time with family and then take a short break somewhere with her friends. I'm back in Florida. I will take a few days of trying to rebuild my house and all the things that have fallen down and remove all the animals that have moved in since I've been gone the last three months. The joys of living in Florida, you always come back to something. Well, I hope, it's it, hope it's not an alligator. That's all I can ask. <laughs> There's usually a snake. I know I've got raccoons outside right now. There's cockroaches <laughs> in the house. It's it's chaos here, but um, I still love being back home. Um, and then, um, so I think we're going to start training in about, uh, well, she'll come back to the States and she's going to start in the gym. So she'll start doing really going hard on the fitness 10 days from when she lost the match. So she's about about a week's time. She'll be back in Florida and she'll start her physical training. And then four or five days later, we'll start on court um, yeah. and start preparing for our first tournament in Montreal. In between, now she's back in Poland, will she be doing any fitness or is it just complete relaxation? Right now, what she's because she's been sort of nursing an, an injury for the last couple of months, she'll do the rehab on that daily, which takes her about 30 minutes. She can do that alone using bands and different things she's got with her. And then uh, nothing else, just full rest. I know she had texted me she's got a photo shoot today that she'll be doing, a couple of media obligations, things like this. So complete break. And I think what the girls and the guys all need is it's more the mental break from being around other tennis players, the stress of being at the tournaments, the traveling and the, the competition. That's tiring. Mm -hmm. Always having to compete. I mean, our first two rounds against Jill Teichman and Barbara Stritzkova, I think, were really nice matches. But you just see how exhausting they are, um, which is what's so impressive, obviously, about those girls that are doing that making quarters, semis every every week, every Grand Slam. But it's exhausting. So that's where they need a big break, that mental break, so that when she comes back, she's fresh and ready to start fighting again on the court. I think that's it's what people who don't play tennis or have never played at that level don't really understand how mentally exhausting it is. You and I played at the college level, and it's a lot of preparation, isn't it? A lot of stress and anxiety before you go on court. Then you've got the actual effort on court. Then you've got everything afterwards, whether you're emotionally upset because you lost or you're on cloud nine because you won. But you just feel like doing nothing after that match. Is that oh, something that you recall? 100%. I mean, I, I always remember playing how much it took out of me more mentally than physically. And, and what was really 
sort of tough. I don't want to say unlucky because I think a lot of girls are in the same spot was just with the rain again this week. It really was difficult because we were supposed to play on the Monday, which we did. And then we were supposed to have Tuesday off and play Wednesday. But because of the rain, we missed two days. So then it was back to back Thursday, Friday doubles. So and I think that's the part people complain about. Well, you know, physically, these girls are good enough. Yeah, I don't think physically is the issue. Mm. I, although it's still tough after playing a three hour match like we did to come out the next day. It's the mental part. It's it's really, really tiring. And it's not just the match because, you know, we've talked about if we're playing first on at 11, you know, we, 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 even my dad says to me, oh, so what time do you get to the court? It's about 10 o'clock. And I think he was <laughs> still thinking, he still thinks about tennis like when I played my junior events, where if we were lucky, we <laughs> were there 10 minutes 10, before match time and go. 55 if we hadn't got lost driving down the motorway. Um, this sounds so, familiar. <laughs> yeah. So, so yeah, no, she, we, you know, 11 o'clock, we're up at six. If if she's on at 11, she's up at 6.30 latest. And then, you know, it's a long day. And then after the match, you've got all your media press responsibilities mm. as well. So it's a long day. Yeah, it's a very long day. We were briefly discussing off-air um, Danielle Collins, because I remember after she got to the final of the Australian Open, when she lost to Ash Barty, she said, this will give me some more money where I can pay for a physio and more people to help me. And since then, I think since the physio has come on, she hasn't actually produced too many results and seems a bit of a shadow of her former self. Why do you think that is? Yeah, it's tricky. I mean, it is a luxury to travel with a physio. I mean, just so people understand that most or every WT event does provide physios. But it's not ideal when you're, you, you've got one physio and maybe 60 players, 50 players at a tournament, roughly. They all maybe want treatment. So you put yourself on a list, you sign mm-hmm. up for a time, but you might not get the time you want. So you've got to wait four hours or come back from the hotel later that night to get your treatment. And it's a 30 minute slot. Whereas when you have your own physio, you're getting the same person that knows you, they know your body. And they do a treatment usually in the hotel room. They travel with a, a traveling um, bed that opens up like a massage table. So, you know, you're able to be in front of the TV after a long match and have two hours of nice treatment. And that's that's nice. On the other side, I think you've got to be careful because I can't remember the exact phrase. You'll remember it. But the hungry the hungry wolf fights the hardest. You know, Yeah. So. I, I don't know. Sometimes there's always that line of if things get too nice, too comfortable, you lose that itch. So it's a balance. I think the player has to know themselves in that point there. And uh, I understand why players want it, but I think you have to be careful with that as well. As someone who looks very, very hungry since coming back from maternity leave is Alina Svitolina. And it does seem like uh, more and more mothers are coming back. We have discussed this briefly, but I'd quite like to understand from your point of view, what she's going through. And she seems to have sort of reinvented her game to become a lot more aggressive now she's come back from maternity leave as before when uh, I commentated on a few of her matches right before she went on maternity leave. And she was a very passive player, very careful. And she seems to have completely churned things around. How do you explain that? Yeah, she's come back. I think that's the... um... When you've had a break from tennis like she has, you lose a lot of your scarring, your mental scarring. So all those things that you maybe weren't good at or those those losses you'd had, they kind of dissolve a little bit and they're forgotten. Mm. Come back with a completely fresh slate, probably a slightly different mindset now being a mum. Perspective is a little bit different. And I've said this before, I think maybe on here, but I think that the most dangerous time to play these players is when they right come back at the start. So right now is a really tough time to play Alina. I think next year will be more 
difficult for her because we've talked about, you know, when we lost to Mira Andreva in, in Madrid, there was a lot of pressure on Magda there uh, because she's this young girl, up and comer. How can you, you don't want to lose to this new, new, new player. But on the flip side, like we've said before, playing the Venuses also has a pressure, playing Alina because, well, you've been training, you've been playing. And I think Iga probably felt that pressure. So it's, it's, it's definitely a tough time to play her, and she's obviously... But she was always a great player. I mean, she was top five, I think, before she, she left. So you don't lose that. I mean, I, I if Ash Barty decided in two years' time to come back and play tennis, it wouldn't surprise me if she gets back into that level. But it's tough. The game, you would hope, you would like to hope that the game in five years' time will be better than where it is now. So what what is required from someone to be five in the world now will only be good enough to be 20 in the world in five years' time. So I've got a purring cat on my lap, if you can hear something very strange. That is uh, Marmalade the cat, so he is sitting happily. But I wonder if um, Svitolina has sort of been inspired by the likes of Victoria Azarenka, of um, Kim Kleisters, and of course we've got Caroline Wozniacki coming back, which to me is quite unbelievable. She's got two youngs, as has Tatiana Maria, but this is going to be quite a lifestyle change, you think, for Wozniacki. Yeah, I, I'm a little confused right now if she's coming back full time. I've had different reports that one is she's making a full comeback and the other one is that she's just entered, I think it was Montreal, Cincinnati and US yes. Open. She's got wild cards, isn't she? Yeah, because it's going to be an issue now because uh, all of a sudden there's this whole returning group. Venus, mm -hmm. not from pregnancy, but she's you know coming back. Alina, obviously. Uh, Wozniacki. You've had Stritskova. She's come back. I think and she's stopping, isn't she now? Stopped, but she's been back this period. And then Kerber's going to be coming back. Yep, and Osaka. And, and Osaka. Now, there's a now for these girls, a lot of them do have protected rankings, but like Wozniacki wouldn't have a protected ranking. Kerber, I'm not sure if she does still. She might do, she but they're going to need wild cards. They're going to need wild cards. And there's only one given to a former mm. number one or top 20. So it's going to be interesting if they start entering the same events. You're not always going to be guaranteed getting it, which is going to be strange. They're going to have to collaborate, aren't they? And then they are. work out what, sure. what you play Cincinnati, I'll play Montreal. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> we have to work together. Do you expect Wozniacki to come back as well as Svitolina has? No, I don't. I, 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 but I, I wouldn't have expected Alina to do this well because her results have been so-so. Until she gets to a Grand Slam, basically. I mean, mm. I think she'd say that as well. If you look at her results, she hasn't done anything spectacular. I mean, she she got bounced pretty easy. I think in, in the week before Wimbledon, she lost in Birmingham. She lost to Fruvitova, 6-2, six 6-love. Six right. Yeah, that's um, a bit of a, a waxing, was, isn't it? You know, and then in Strasbourg, the week before the French Open, she loses to Blinkova, 2-3. and three. You know, Italian Open, she lost to Serenko in 2 Played a 125 and lost to Sloan the week before that. In Madrid, she lost to Sasnovich. Now, obviously, as she's played more matches, it's getting better and better. Mm. But, you know, the, if you'd have looked at the weeks week before Wimbledon, you definitely wouldn't have thought she'd make semifinals. So I think what it shows, pays homage to is how good of a competitor she is. She's an excellent competitor. Yeah, and, and that's come it. through. And I just think she's become such a much more aggressive player that she's obviously looked at previous video, talked with her new coach, Roman Slota, perhaps worked a little bit with Gail Monfils and just really turned it up a bit. She's really attacking second serves and looking to 
sort of move forward, which is unlike her from just before, again, she she stopped tennis for the first time. It, it, and I think that that's an example as well, where she's always been a player that won because she trusted her legs. And I, I, I'm i sure that she can. she's still in great shape. You can tell that. But I don't know if she can trust them as much. Mm. And if she can trust them as much now, a little bit older, post-pregnancy, you know, and maybe, uh, hey, I want to play a little bit more aggressive now. I think uh, she's made that decision that she wants to not have to work quite as hard for every point when she was playing before. So it's it's almost forced her into playing this way. And actually, she probably could have done more of this before she stopped. Um, I'd like to briefly go back to Wimbledon and just ask you if there was anything this year, given that you've done this for many, many years now, is there anything at Wimbledon that was different, better, that surprised you, that could be better? I think the um, the new building they've got there with the with the world players welcome area where transport is is based now that whole facility is outstanding. Mm. Um, it makes it so much more convenient and uh, spacious for the players. I think um, I think that was really a big a big difference. Obviously, I've heard there's big plans to do more stuff there next year, and as as the years go by, they, they've acquired the golf course across the street. But that was for whatever reason this year we had much uh, much easier time getting practice courts, which was really good. Um, I'm hoping that they need to make improvements to the gym. There's just okay. not enough gym warm up area space for players. Food is decent. I think I would rate it as the number probably. I'll give it the number two for Grand Slams. I'd After say Australia. Australia. Australia's number one. Uh, probably Wimbledon two, hmm. U.S. Open three, and French is down at the bottom. <laughs> you don't like um, those escargot? No, not not my style. But it was <laughs> yeah, overall, it was uh, it was they they get more impressive every year. There's always additions they make to the tournament. Um, so I think um, yeah, it's looking better and better. I just hope they fix their Wi-Fi next year. Oh, okay, Wi-Fi. So note to Wimbledon: Do you still get that sort of um, hair sticking up on your neck when you walk into the championships? Do you still get that feeling, or is it sort of get it, you're getting used to it now? We were talking with Magda about that after the tournament. It's it's you know I suppose um, it's always going to be the most prestigious for different reasons for me from being from there. I think it's being on grass makes it unique. If it was a hard court event, I think you'd right away lose that some something special. Um, there's a great atmosphere there, the silence of the crowd, and it's Wimbledon. I think, I think even Rafa said when he grew up that was the tournament he wanted to win, mm. even as a clay court player. But um, it's it's still a great tournament. Um, probably not quite as the same feeling for me as it did have when I first started, but it's it's a job, it's work now. So um, <laughs> yeah, but you're still enjoying it. And Magda got to the third round. She's done that before. She's never got to the second week of Wimbledon, has she? No, no. We we keep slipping on that um on that banana skin on the third round. <laughs> so we're going to have to work again and try and, and and improve that next year. But I think after this six months, she's happy to get now back onto the hard courts where she's probably the most comfortable. Is that her favourite surface? You'd say? Yeah, I th- I would think so. When I first started working with her, she told me it was clay um, because she grew up in Poland and mm. that's all clay court tennis there. But I've always felt that hard courts were her best, and I think her results would probably support that. Oh, absolutely. Semi-finalist uh, at the Australian Open and perhaps semi-finalist at uh, the US Open, and it's not long away, is it? OK, Mark Gellard, uh, we've been through quite a few subjects today. and uh, We are going to try and get some, uh, hopefully, followers and fans to send some questions to you. So that's the next thing for anyone listening. If you've got a question for us, you can uh, catch us on Instagram, 
um, on Twitter, on Facebook. Mark, you're on all of those. I, I am. Um, I'm looking forward to getting some questions. And for those before you bother to ask, yeah, I'm not I'm not taller than Magda before you ask. <laughs> Is that that's the question you get most of? <laughs> How tall are you? How big's exactly. your serve? You can clang exactly. one down at about well, about a hundred and hundred and uh, kilometers an hour. <laughs> yeah, about a hundred kilometers an hour. Exactly. You thought I was going to to go with the miles per hour and go up to 126, which I'm sure you've yeah. managed before on the shotgun. <laughs> All right, Mark, thanks very much, and uh, we'll meet in a couple of weeks' time. Thanks, Candy. Thanks, everyone, for listening.